0: To Star Wars Lit Lab, a podcast about Star Wars stories. I'm your host Kyle Larson and we have quite an episode for you today. Um, Before we get to our main topic I'm gonna do some news and I'm gonna try and be brief because I feel like this is gonna be uh, kind of a long episode and I'll try not to make it too long but might be pushing, uh, pushing the old bandwidth here so just want to break down some comic book and, and some book news uh, for you guys since this is uh, kind of what we do here. Um, Alphabet Squadron, my spoiler review is uh, out and living now on Star Wars Newsnet where I do all my writing um, about Star Wars comic books and books. Uh, you can. I'm going to link to it in the show notes, and I'm also going to link to Jordan Pate's excellent non-spoiler review in case you are still kind of hesitating about Alphabet Squadron and want to get a taste but don't want spoilers. He does a great job of kind of highlighting the themes of of the review and and just or excuse me, themes of the book, and kind of going over uh, different different things without spoiling them. He does it very well. My review is very very spoiler. Uh, it's it's quite dense. Uh, I think it ended up clocking in around 4,500 words. So yeah, get your reading glasses for that. Um, But I'll link to those in the show notes. Um, Comic book news this week, we had the final arc of the Shutoran run, um, the Scourge of uh, Shutoran. Sorry, I can't talk today. Um, And that review is up on Star Wars Newsnet, it was written by Elena, Elena Biden, who uh, we've been writing reviews together forever, and she did an excellent job. It was also Kieran Gillen's final, uh, final issue of the Marvel titular Star Wars title, and he's taking a bow. There's no news if he's going to be doing any further, uh, further writing for Star Wars books, but I sure hope he does. He did a great job with pretty much everything he's been given. He's done now uh, the first Darth Vader series, not the Charles Soule one, but the first one, which introduced Dr. Afra. He did the bulk of the Dr. Afra series, which he handed over to um, Simon Spierier, uh, which is excellent as well. And um, he had took over the Star Wars uh, from Jason Aaron and has given us pretty solid arcs since then. We had the um, Hope Dies arc. We had the uh, there's the one, I can't remember the name, I should have written it down. Um, and then the one that's kind of takes place in between that and the Shuto uh, arc uh, where they're stranded on the isolationist planet. And then this one, the Shu uh, arc, which has been, been solid. And so uh, they definitely ended it with uh, hinting that we're getting very close to the Empire Strikes Back in terms of the timeline of that title, uh, because they're going to start looking for a new rebel base. And who knows? Maybe they might even uh, run into that bounty hunter on Ord Mandel that I've always wanted to, to see. Um, The other title we had out this week is tie fighter number three which going back to the alphabet squadron uh recommendation that i I gave earlier uh remember this is a delray marvel crossover event and jody hauser has been doing an excellent job of doing her end of the the storytelling which takes place uh before the events of alphabet squadron covering the elite shadow wing squad of the empire and remember this takes place after Return of the Jedi, actually after Operation Cinder, which is, you know, you should go into Wikipedia and Google that. And I bet if you read about that and, and shadowing, you're really going to want to pick up Alphabet Squadron. But you should also make sure and pick up the TIE Fighter series because Jody's been doing an excellent job of, of introducing these Imperial... Uh, pilots and and kind of and well not kind of but definitely humanizing them and and showing that you know there were human beings in these TIE fighters that are getting blown up and all sorts of things uh, even though they were making um, maybe not so good uh, moral choices you can see that they're they're at a point um, where they're starting to to realize that they're fighting for a dying empire and or a dead empire so that's a good one and we also had Dr. Afra number three um, you guys I've made no qualms about how much i love dr afra um <clears throat> since she's been introduced and i i talk about that character a lot um but this was an excellent issue this is the second issue and the the newer arc um is still writing it Tolvin, magna tolden who is afra's kind of been her girlfriend well not her girlfriend but they've been uh, romantically involved. I don't think they've ever had a chance for, uh, you know, a proper date or a relationship. But Tolvin's now um, a rebel. She's joined the Rebel Alliance. She was a staunch imperial uh, leading up to to this issue. So it's really interesting to see the dynamic between them. And we also get a, a nice little flashback scene uh, between Chelly uh, Afra and her mom. So Jordan Pate, wrote a review of that. I'm going to link to that in the show notes as well, so you could check that out. And also, I forgot to mention, I wrote the review for TIE Fighter number 3. I did that, and I'm going to link to that review in the show notes as well. So, um, We did get some cool news from comics uh, this week. We got some synopses for the Age of Resistance title. Um, We got synopses for the Kylo Ren, the Snoke, the Ray, and the Rose titles. So... The ones that really caught my eye uh, were the Snoke and the Kylo Ren ones, because it seems like they're going to kind of connect to one another. We're going to see Kylo going in search of learning about his grandfather, which is that's the story I've wanted forever. Um, it's going to be relative to the Darth Vader mask that he kind of uh, he, I wouldn't say worships, but he communes with, and who knows we don't really know yet if that mask is talking back to him or who's behind that mask um, and then the Snoke title is also is going to cover the beginning of Kylo's tutelage under Snoke, and we know that Snoke was not the nicest guy to Kylo Ren, Snoke's not uh, Snoke sucks anyway, but we're going to see the kind of brutality and I, I do think that this is is really going to set up the uh the redemption of kylo ren which is something that i subscribe to and i i believe is is where this is headed where his story is headed um but i i think this is going to definitely show that you know kylo or that ben solo kylo ren was abused um and you know i don't want to go too deep into that because that's actually an episode i have uh Planned later, but I, I do think that this is gonna add uh, another dimension to the the toxic relationship and the abusive relationship between uh, Snoke and Kylo Ren. So look for those. And we also got, and oh, I'm sorry, I'm linking to an article about that as well. You guys, I'm still very new to this podcasting thing, so I'm sorry that I'm tripping all over my words, but that'll be linked to in the show notes as well. Uh, We also got a con cover announcement for the upcoming Thrawn Treason by Timothy Zahn. This is the third um, in-canon Thrawn novel that he's written. It takes place... just before the end of Rebels, before he and Ezra are, you know, propelled into the unknown regions. And it looks fascinating because there's a bunch of Chiss on the cover. And we know that, that Thrawn was really, really uneasy when he found out that Krennic was building the Death Star. And that's kind of what this story about, is that Thrawn's like, really, did I throw my hat in with the right people here? Because they look like they're going to just try to take over the galaxy and do lots of not rad stuff so i'm very excited i've read um both of those books well I've read the Legends version of, of Thrawn and the um the two canon the you know just the simply titled Thrawn and Thrawn Alliance as the story that involved Padme and Anakin which was I, I loved both of them so I I think that this is going to be great and we're also getting uh, more Palpatine in this book as well because he's he's been in the stories before but he's always just kind of like you know doing his Palpatine thing back in the shadows but I think this is going to be very very interesting to see how uh these people interact. So that's kind of the news. And I think we're just going to kind of jump into the main discussion of the podcast, which uh, I've kind of teased it out over Twitter to the, you know, 130 people that follow me at this point. But I wanted to to take a Legends character uh, and, and discuss a, a Legends character. And, you know, it seems like Especially leading up to the Force Awakens, there was a name that kept popping up a lot because of you know a similar appearance to to Kylo Ren and you know I had never actually read these stories but we're going to talk about Revan. Um, a lot of people, myself included, usually refer to him as Darth Revan, but I'm just going to call him Revan because after reading a story, I realized that the Sith part of. His life is a pretty small chapter. I mean, he dealt with the Sith all his life, but him actually becoming a Sith was is is kind of a small chapter into his voluminous life and what a voluminous life it was. Um, but there's a couple of things I want to say before I start um, getting into Revan because it is a he's a very very complicated character and has a story that involves so many huge Legends events and Legends characters that have their own story that, you know, this, I could make like a three-hour episode probably if I wanted to go on to kind of like all the tendrils that his story and and he encompasses. So I'd like to just start off by saying that I am not a gamer um, and that I'm not saying that like, oh, you don't call me a gamer. I, you know, I have a lot of respect for the gaming community and that, you know, I I love playing games whenever I can, but I, I have never really played the Old Republic before. So that is where the bulk of Revan's story takes place. So I just want to let you know that I don't consider what I'm about to do here a deep dive by any means, because I would really have to play those games to know that. I've I've read the synopses of of both the games and kind of have an idea of how they contribute to Revan's story. Um, so think of this... Revan survey that I'm about to do, think of it as more of a, a snorkel than a deep dive. Um, I know we like to say deep dive a lot, but that's definitely not what this is. This is more of a snorkel. Uh, so we're going to go snorkeling and and look at Revan. And you know, the, the most uh, source material that I have uh, to talk about Revan came from a Legends book that I read over the last couple of days called The Old Republic Revan and it's by Drew uh, Car- Carpesian who wrote this and he wrote it as kind of supplemental material and kind of a sequel to the events of the Old Republic game and I'm going to link in the show notes too there's a, a very uh, well made kind of spreadsheet of chronological ways to read Revan's complete story and his story spans across comic books, um, RPGs, video games, and um, this book. But this book really um, is think of it, you know, how we have the prequel trilogy, we have the original trilogy, and then we have the sequel trilogy. I would say that this book by uh, Drew Carpesian is kind of like the original trilogy. Like we're meeting Riven in the middle of his story here. And we're meeting him after some very consequential things have happened, and we're also, this is setting up some 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 very uh, contra- consequential things for the conclusion of his life and his story. So, I guess we're just going to get into it here. So, again... I'm not claiming to be an authority on legends material. I really hope uh, people listening please be patient with me. Um, you know, I'll I'll definitely drop my Twitter handle and my email at the end of, of this, and they're always in the show notes. So if I got something just brutally wrong, if I just if I did, you know, just bludgeoned it to <laughs> to being how incorrect it is, uh, please shoot me an email and let me know. So. On with Revan. So I'm going to summarize some of the things that happen in the game uh, before I actually get into talking about the bulk of the novel that I read. Um, But this, you should know, just to kind of set where this is at in the timeline, this takes place 3,900 years before the Battle of Yavin, and that's that's how a lot of legends... timelines if you get these legends books you'll, you'll open them up and usually the first two pages are a timeline of all the legends material i mean and there's so much but the way that they determine you know what came before the original trilogy and what came after the original trilogy is they have the battle of yavin as kind of this watershed moment to to mark on the timeline so everybody knows like you know where how far was this before it began and how far after so this takes place 3900 years before the Battle of Yavin. Um, so a little bit about Revan's life as a Jedi. Uh, he was early on in his apprenticeship uh, singled out for being very powerful and also very intrigued by kind of the mysticism of the Force. He uh, he was just really eager for knowledge um, and he Kind of rose up in the ranks of the Jedi Order, but the first huge turning point in his life involved the mandalorian and uh, excuse me the mandalorians so the republic was in a war with the mandalorians and at this point the jedi were not they they had taken a stand with the republic and said look we're not soldiers we're not an army for you we're not going to fight this war but revan really wanted to fight really wanted to be a part of this and really thought it was a war that the jedi needed to fight and he and his apprentice who was named alec um, they actually broke off from the Jedi and they formed a, kind of a subset, not necessarily an order, but like think of it <clears throat> the way I, I took it and maybe I'm wrong here, but they they thought of it as, they thought of themselves as crusaders and they called themselves the revanchist Jedi, which I believe revanchist, and I'm not going to pronounce it right, but I think that's revenge for French. So right away they were getting kind of, they were dabbling in the dark side and they were doing this because Um, They were trying to keep the Mandalorians at bay. The Mandalorians are, you know, these are not the canon Mandalorians that we know, but they they do share the fact that they are formidable opponents of the Jedi and formidable warriors. Um, But Revan came into this conflict and he ended up essentially wiping out a large number of Mandalorians. On a planet called Malachor Five, and this was after they'd been fighting for a while, and he used a weapon called the Mass Shadow Generator, and what that did was, you know, essentially like obliterate, you know, many, many Mandalorians. And if that weren't bad enough, he also took on he took the mask of Mandalore, which is is basically like the crown, or or you could think of it like King Arthur's sword, um, that designates who is going to rule Mandalore and you know it's it shares it's not quite as it's not quite the same as the dark saber that we saw in the clone wars and rebels but it, it is in a way that you know the mandalorians are kind of lost without it like they don't know who rules them so this this definitely shares a lot of similarities with the mandalorians that we meet in the clone wars but keep in keep in mind that this is legends material it's not canon but i can see how the, the some of this stuff was was pulled from here for sure um so He did find out, though, he did realize that there was something bigger behind this Mandalorian War, and he discovered that the Mandalorians were actually fighting kind of a proxy war on behalf of the Sith Empire. Um, And he found that out because he he ended up going into the Unknown Regions, and he found out that the Emperor of the Sith Empire, who is uh, Darth Vitiate, um he was trying to determine how strong the republic and how strong the jedi were so revan and took his apprentice after kind of he basically was was kind of disowned from the jedi not necessarily kicked out but or i guess disowned would be the wrong word then but he was he left the jedi to go into the unknown regions and search for the sith empire and he eventually found it and this is kind of where the trouble started for for revan um, so they confronted the Emperor, but they ended up turning to the dark side because, you know, once you go down that dark path, forever will dominate your, your destiny. So Alec ended up taking the mantle of uh, the title of Darth Malak, and Revan just put Darth in front of his name, so he was, became Darth Revan, which is where we, we hear a lot about that. Um, so they, they actually ended up launching a full-on assault on the Republic um, on behalf of the Emperor on, and the Sith Empire, and like all great Sith, Malak ended up turning on Revan at the last minute and nearly destroyed him. Nearly, he attacked a ship that he was on, and the Jedi actually ended up finding him later. And they decided that they should reprogram his mind. They knew he was still super powerful, so they programmed his mind or reprogrammed his mind to. Um, the light side which to me that seems super problematic and i'm going to talk about that in you know towards the end uh, after i've kind of recapped his entire story but it's weird to me that they would put that kind of control and take away that kind of free will even though they were doing it for a good purpose um but one of the jedis who specifically kind of helped him heal from you know recovering from the dark side was um a jedi named bastilla and bastilla ended up um, kind of fighting along alongside of Revan, and <clears throat> she actually ended up being captured by Darth Malak herself, and um, kind of a reverse of what happened, Revan was able to rescue her and turn her back to the good side, and they ended up destroying a Sith weapon called the Starforge, which was it was claimed to be the greatest or the most powerful weapon that had ever been been constructed. Uh, it essentially used dark side energy, dark side force to just build, just churn out like limitless weapons and limitless powerful, powerful weapons. So after that, after those events of of them vanquishing the Sith, um, they you know they destroyed Darth Malak and the Sith were thought to be vanquished. Um, they married and that's kind of where we're meeting Revan in the novel so I hope I didn't butcher that too much Um, please feel free to to uh, contact me if if I did and let me know and I'll definitely correct it in the next episode but um, we we meet him in the novel and that's kind of where I'm gonna go from here Um, so the novel opens up uh, with Revan having a nightmare and it's he's he's Having these visions of a planet covered in darkness and lightning, and he's he's starting to realize that this isn't just a nightmare. That he's he's starting to see past memories that he thought were or that the Jedi thought were erased, and he's starting to remember points in time where he was a Sith. And the Force is trying. He can tell that the Force is calling to him and trying to get him to remember. And at this time, you know, he and Bastilla Shan, I I or Bastilla sean I I forgot to uh, give her last name. I apologize to people listening because she actually ended up being one of my favorite characters from this book even though she's in it very little Um, so we meet a a very troubled Revan at the beginning of this story and he knows that something's up and Bastilla is actually pregnant at this point too so he's he's on the verge of becoming a new father but he he senses this growing threat but he doesn't know how he can figure out what it is and what he can do about it so he's he's um, again very troubled at the same time, we're meeting the story, is it moves to um, a planet called Dromund Kaas, and we meet a Sith Lord named Darth Scourge, which I, that's like one of my favorite Sith names so far. Unfortunately, Scourge doesn't end up being a... I didn't really care for the character very much, but he's arrived um, to meet up with another Sith Lord named Darth Nerys. And he's greeted by this like kind of lackey Sith named Seschel. Seschel is basically like the Worm Tongue of the story, um, Greemer Worm Tongue from Lord of the Rings. And if if uh, Tongue were just a little bit more ambitious, because Seschel is in this weird kind of caste system of the Sith, where he was born with a really weak powers in the Force. But because he is still has powers in the forest and because he's a Sith, he's somewhere in the hierarchy, but he's just, he's basically like, he's not a slave, but he's kind of like on the lowest end of the Sith in service to the Sith without being a Sith Lord and without having force powers, if that makes any sense. Um, the Sith caste system is super complicated uh there's you know sith like darth scourge who are just kind of like these sith lords and they're powerful and they they go and they're they're more utilitarian or utilitarian where and then there's the dark council which are the you know the higher sith lords and then there's the emperor and then everyone below them humans twi'leks um i think even are mentioned are slaves essentially so maybe it's not super complicated but to me it was the way it's presented in um by by Carpesians or by drew's writing is is it seemed very convoluted to me and again that could just be my lack of legends knowledge but um so anyway we we have scourge meeting Seshel and we realize there's a lot of like xenophobia too in the Sith, and it's it's really kind of like unsettling to hear about how they treat their slaves and treat people that are are lower than them. But um, Scourge was dispatched to come to Seshul, and he he's actually pretty rough with him. He's pretty rough with him being, like, on the lower end. He he kind of, like, beats him up and chokes him a little bit because Seshul gives him an attitude. And you can see that the Sith don't have any problem being aggressive at all and just being as evil as you'd think they would be. But he was dispatched by the Emperor to investigate an assassination attempt and a threat against Darth Nerys. And it's a big deal right away to they make it a big deal that the emperor is actually dispatched him because the emperor doesn't really kind of like come out of his cavern and he doesn't really commune with anyone except for the other members of the council. So the fact that he kind of overrid Darth Neris and dispatched Scourge to to investigate what's going on with her is huge. And Neris actually uses his arrival to test him. She sends this like group of of um I think they're mercenaries to after him and they try to kill him and she locks him out of the palace out of her palace and everything and scourge handles himself well but she realizes that um he's capable of finding out what the threat is to her so she she tests him she continues to test him as um as he starts to investigate who might be behind this assassination attempt um they use a lot of descriptions that i wasn't crazy about to describe nearest because i thought she was her i thought she was actually a pretty fascinating story she's an older sith who is still very very powerful but appears like her body has just been ravaged by the dark side of the forest and uh, Carpesian uh, refers to her several times as an old hag, and I didn't. I really didn't like that description. I I don't like the f- the fact that like a lot of times when women get older in stories, they they get devalued in a way. And I thought that that was kind of unnecessary. He could have used other descriptions, but that's we'll we'll just kind of move on with that. I just felt like I needed to say that. Um, <clears throat> so Scourge begins the investigation, and we jump back to where. Revan is at and he's going to the Jedi Council to kind of seek out what these visions might mean without having to go he's the Jedi are basically like the his first stop to see if he can figure out what's going on inside of his head Um, but we find out that things aren't so rosy for Revan and the Jedi Um, they are still not very crazy about the fact that he was once a Sith Lord and killed many Jedi many people in the Republic um, they're also not crazy about the fact that he and um <clears throat> he he ended up getting married to uh, Bastilla and they are you know he's he's basically kind of become this like obscure Jedi like he still has the title of a Jedi but a lot of the Jedi resent him and don't like him um he really he's also very concerned about his former apprentice who is named uh, Mitra Surik, who was, Ended up being expelled from the Jedi Order after the events of uh, the Mandalorian Wars. Um, she's actually we we'll find we find out later is she's cut herself off from the Force and she's been kind of exploring around the unknown regions. So Revan doesn't get a lot of help from the Jedi. So he decides that he's going to go searching for the Mandalorian mask that he took and that he hid. So again. The fact that he took this mask from the Mandalorians and hid it is a big deal because it's it's basically rendered the Mandalorian race powerless. Um, it's it's divided them. It's scattered them, and they're not the proud culture that they be and that they that they once were. And we realize that as soon as Revan goes to meet up with an old friend of his who's a Mandalorian, whose name is Kandorus. so or Kandorus. So Kandorus, um and he decided to go searching for this mask. Um, They end up meeting up with a group of Mandalorians led by uh, Kanderas' wife, whose name is Vila. Uh, Kanderas and his wife are estranged, so we don't really actually find out that they're married. And they don't know who Revan is at first. Well, they know who Revan is, but when Revan shows up, they don't know that he's Revan, because Candorus says if they know you're a Jedi, especially if they know you're Revan, Revan, we're going to have a problem. So Revan has to do a little bit of uh, lying. There's kind of a funny scene where he actually... Um, tries to, well, he he goes like drink for drink with the Mandalorians and wakes up with a pretty bad hangover. But as he's kind of getting closer to the mask, he feels it calling to him. And through the force, he's starting to remember where it is. And, you know, Vila and the Mandalorians have been desperately trying to find this mask so that it can reunite. So they find it in this this icy planet. They have to battle against other clans. Uh, Vila actually ends up getting killed in the crossfire, Um, She actually ends up getting killed by Kanderas which is it's pretty um, pretty heartbreaking because I thought she had a lot of potential and and in my opinion the Mandalorians disappear from the story really fast because as soon as they find the mask and they find it and it's fractured. Revan's able to piece it back together, and he remembers everything about the Emperor. He remembers everything about the Mandalorians being more or less a proxy for the Sith Empire to to basically test out the Republic and find out how powerful they are. Um, and he realizes that there's a planet called uh, Nathema, which is uh, where he is going to find his answers. He doesn't know why, but it, he remembers the name, he remembers where it is he actually uses the force to kind of plot in the coordinates and in his and in his ship and then ends up going there so we find out at the same time as this is going on after this whole thing with him finding the mandalorian mask and and this kind of skirmish that he has with a couple of the mandalorian clans uh, eventually going into the unknown regions he he says goodbye to his wife uh, which is it's Pretty heartbreaking because the two of them essentially know that they're probably not going to see each other again because he's going out pretty dangerous and she's pregnant and you know they finally kind of started to build this life together but he realizes he has to address this because it's it's you know it's just not going to go away um, if he just lets it there and he wants to you know first and foremost make sure that his family is going to be safe you know his wife hasn't given birth yet but. Um, he wants to make sure that she will be safe when that happens and that their child will be you know brought into a, a safe galaxy. So he heads to Nathema and at the same time, Scourge is starting to discover that there's much more to this plot to assassinate Nerus than he uh, believed. And Nearest finally comes clean with him because he's he's finally just like, look, you're you're bullshitting me like there's something going on. There's something bigger than all this. I don't know who's trying to assassinate you, but it doesn't make any sense for, you know, other than regular Sith politics for people to be coming after you like like what is going on? And she actually sends him after this kind of decrepit Sith Lord who who says who starts to reveal the plot that they are in league to the Nearest and he are in league to kill the Emperor and to assassinate the Emperor, bring him down. And Nerus ends up letting Scourge in on this plan, and he's like, why why would you guys do that? Like, you can't go up against the Emperor because the Emperor is, you know, like the one that we're familiar with. He's all powerful. He's like, you know, why would you do this? Like, we're building this Sith Empire, like everything's, you know, it's not great, but it's not bad. There's no reason to overthrow the Emperor. And Neris is like let me take you to this planet called Nathema and I'm going to show you exactly why I like to do this. So they go there and they arrive at the planet and it's completely dead. Um, it's lifeless. It's actually been decimated so badly by the Emperor that the force doesn't even exist in there and they call it the void. Um, now, we hear a little bit about the Emperor's childhood which this was like probably the most disturbing part of the book for me was they, they really paint like a vivid, vivid depiction of, you know, how he was abused as a child, how, you know, he had force sensitivity and his father, uh, he suspected, his father suspected that his mother had slept with somebody else. And when he was born uh, a force sensitive child, he was um, enraged about that. And he actually um, tried to kill, uh, the emperor's mother and so the emperor saw that this was going down and ended up killing his father but then he didn't just kill his father he actually turned the force on his mother and this is like the worst part but he actually tortured her and punished her because um, she it turns out that she had betrayed his father and had actually had a relations with a Sith Lord and so he's like, he's punishing his mom. And it just was like, God, it was really, really awful to read. I, I just, um, it, like one thing you should be aware of if you're getting into this book, it's super fucking dark. Like this is like Game of Thrones level dark. And, you know, especially this this chapter of kind of like how the emperor came to be. Um, so as, as he did these evil things, this... This pain and this fear just fed his power and he just was able to kind of absorb the force and the more people he killed um, he started killing he started spreading his his like bloodlust to nearby villages and ended up kind of amassing like these fanatical followers and he was just killing thousands of people in his own planet and eventually became ruler of that planet and became a Sith Lord Um, the Sith started to recognize how powerful he was and when there was this, this war going on called the Great Hyperspace War, which was the first conflict between the Jedi and the Sith, which nearly annihilated the Sith. It took them a very long time to recover from. He just kind of held back. Um, again, the Emperor's uh, name is Darth Vitiate. And Lord Vitiate, he just kind of held back and he, or hung back. He didn't really participate in this war and he let the Sith Lords kind of destroy themselves. Um, he everybody was either fighting in this war or they were fighting the leadership to take over the leadership mantle of the sith but as he hung back he was becoming more and more powerful he was massacring more worlds he was doing all this kind of in the dark to to increase his power um and then he finally called the surviving sith lords to him and said look i have this special ritual it's it's um It'll make you powerful, and make us all powerful. Come to my planet. Come to my world. I'll show you the power of the dark side, the full potential of the dark side. And we know, we know when Sith do that, that that doesn't ever end well. So these Sith that came to the planet, they were massacred and they were annihilated by uh, Darth Vitiate who and and who ended up becoming, um, becoming a Sith Lord or becoming the Emperor, and that's how he was able to claim his power. And his, this ritual, when he did this to the other Sith, it was so powerful. And again, this happened on his, his homeworld of um, Nathama. It obliterated everything. It obliterated, um, and I'm just going to actually take a quote directly from the book. Again, this is uh, from Drew Carpesian, And it is, here's the quote. The emperor had consumed everything, life, sound, color, even the force. Nothing remained. This wasn't about conquest or domination or destroying an enemy. All concepts Scourge had embraced. Everything on Nathema had simply been snuffed out, extinguished so completely that it ceased to have any meaning or purpose. It was a vacuum of existence, a blight of the natural order. So reading that, you just, you know, they're really establishing that this emperor is is just, you know, Palpatine was bad. He was evil. Sure. And who knows you know, how bad he would have gotten, or who knows how powerful and evil he's going to be when we see whatever incarnation of him in the Rise of Skywalker, but they're establishing that this emperor has been, he's had this power for a very long time, and he's very, you know, he's hes absolutely evil, and he's not just interested in dominating, he's, he's interested in just obliterating existence as we know it, and Scourge has this terrifying realization that that's where the Emperor is headed and the reason that Nerius is so desperate to stop him is because she lets him know she lets Scourge know that the Emperor is planning on starting another war with the Republic and the Jedi and that he is going to try and spread this obliteration across the galaxy and not only is she worried about that and Scourge is worried about that too but they're also worried about the fact that the Jedi could annihilate the Sith again and they've been building up this empire for so long but they both don't feel that they're ready to take on the Jedi but the Emperor is ready and I thought it was kind of cool Nerus and Scourge refer to the Emperor as kind of like a mad a mad king like he's gone mad and the sith empire now are going to suffer for this madness because he wants to start a war that they feel is very unnecessary even though they're sith and even though they're evil they don't there's not a time like they're they're sith that are patient and they're ready to wait this out and they're ready to engage the jedi when they need to so that's kind of their motivation so they're they've arrived on this planet you know scourge is perception is completely altered now he sees why it's important to stop the emperor and right as they do Revan shows up and they're like oh look at that a Jedi here on this planet shit we can't let that happen so they end up capturing Revan they knock him out cold and capture him and then that's where um, the chapter ends and then the next chapter starts and it's three years later we learn that Revan has been imprisoned in Nerissa's uh, palace and her compound. And pretty much uh, once a month, twice a month or so, Scourge is going down and having these really long interrogation sessions with Revan. He's not necessarily torturing him. Um, aside from, you know, Revan's completely confined and he's actually basically cut off from the Force. They've been giving him these drugs to kind of uh, subdue his Force powers so that he can't call out to the other Jedi. So he is tortured in a sense that he's in solitary confinement. Um, but Scourge comes to visit him like, you know, once or twice a month and they have these really long sessions and Scourge is starting to become fascinated with Revan. He's starting to become fascinated with powers that Jedi have specifically the Jedi's ability to see into the future, which is something that I guess in this, at this point in legends that Sith can't really do. And he's, he's, He's like, well, you know, if you Jedi can see into the future, like, why aren't you just, you know, doing things to prevent things like getting captured by Sith from happening? And Revan explains that, you know, we can see into the future, but it's not always certain that that what we're seeing is what's going to happen. You know, these are there are multiple possibilities. You know, anything is possible. So they start having this conversation, and Revan says that he has foreseen the future, that a powerful ally is going to rescue him and is going to show up and rescue him and he's he's confident that that's going to happen and scourge starts to freak out and be like oh shit well like that means the jedi are coming and so he goes to 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 tell uh nearest that they really need to start um uh upping their plans um and actually he ends up starting to make plans of his own because he feels like you know, if they're really going to stop the emperor they're actually going to need the jedi's help Revan hasn't actually seen, had that foresight, but as soon as Scourge exits the cell, and you guys, I'm reading my notes here, so I'm sorry if this kind of sounds choppy, he gets a force, or not a force vision, but he makes a force connection with his old apprentice, Mitra, um, who I referenced earlier, who is very similar to kind of like has a very similar arc to like ahsoka tano where she was expelled from the jedi but you know ahsoka never cut herself off from the force but mitra has completely cut herself off from the force but she did rejoin at the request of um, bastilla to go seek out and try to find Revan in the unknown regions where she already was so mitra's taken on this charge to go find her old old master she shows up to rescue Revan, and he f- actually feels her through the Force. And there's kind of like a cool bit of her landing on um, on the planet Andromunkas and, and and kind of blending in with all the humans and all the other kind of subsets of of society that we see there, um, <clears throat> and trying to find um, try to find Reven. So Scourge realizes he has a big problem. You know, Darth Nerys. Even though she's referred to as you know, kind of this older, weaker um, person, she's still. He knows she's still very powerful in the Force, and he also knows that her palace, her fortress, that um, Revan is being held in, it's going to be very hard to break Revan out of that of that fortress and very hard to get him to join up with um with them if neeris is kind of standing in the way so scourge decides to to really roll the dice here and I'm, I'm still kind of i couldn't believe it as i was reading it but he decides to basically expose what darth Nerus was planning on doing in terms of overthrowing the emperor so he goes directly to the emperor and he says look i have proof that darth Nerus and a couple of the other um sith on your jedi on your um Dark Council are planning to overthrow you, and I want to show you demonstrate my loyalty by showing you this. The Emperor takes in this information, he believes, um he believes Scourge that this is going to happen. And so he unleashes a full attack on Nerus, um, and he also executes his entire Dark Council and and basically throws the Sith Empire into absolute chaos. So we rejoin Revan and M- Mitra is starting her rescue attempt on Revan as this happens. And so she rescues Revan in the midst of this attack on Darth Nerys' palace on, on her fortress, breaks him out, uh, Scourge, Revan, and Mitra all kind of come together and they decide to hide and they decide that they are the ones that need to take on the Emperor now. Now that, now that the Dark Council has been annihilated, now that the planet is is basically in complete chaos the empire is in chaos this is their chance to strike out against the emperor and bring him down and they make this truce you know it's not necessarily like okay well once we do this we're going to be best buddies I think Revan and Mitra know that like you know Scourge is probably going to take over the mantle of emperor and so they're going to have to destroy him or you know there's going to have to be some way that this armistice breaks up but for for the moment, they come together against this this greater evil, which is the Emperor and his his desire to just ob- obliterate not only the galaxy, the universe, uh, but but the Force as well. Um, so, Revan, Scourge, and Mitra—they finally they go into the palace. They get past all of his security. All these, you know, it it's pretty elaborate. The the guards that are in place to to protect the Emperor, but the Emperor is so powerful himself that the three of them need to take him on. But in typical Sith fashion, Scourge betrays them at the last second. Scourge, he kills Mitra, which really pissed me off and bummed me out because it's just such a senseless death, and he mortally wounds Revan because the Emperor decides that he has a um, a better purpose for Revan and he wants to keep Revan alive. So, um, Scourge is rewarded for this act of betrayal um, by becoming the emperor's personal guard, and he's been give hes actually given the gift or- of immortality. And they go into a pretty—or Carpesian goes into a pretty brittle description of what it feels like when a Sith becomes immortal, and it basically feels like your entire body is burning and that sensation just never goes away and the emperor actually tells scourge like yeah this pain is never going to go away but it's the price of immortality and you're just going to have to learn to accept it at some point the whole reason that scourge decided to um betray revan and it's he it's kind of i'm not going to lie you guys like they kind of pulled us out of their ass a bit (laughs) but scourge has a vision that there will be there's a prophecy it's not an there's not a Skywalker, it's not a balance of the Force prophecy, but that there's a prophecy Revan sees of a Jedi eventually um, destroying the Emperor, but Scourge isn't convinced that it's Revan. He thinks that Revan and Mitra are not gonna be able to stop the Emperor as in the midst of this battle. So he decides to betray them both and sacrifice them both so that he can stand guard by the Emperor um, forever, for as long as it takes the Emperor to unleash his plot to attack the Jedi and you know and eventually obliterate the universe um, so Scourge sacrifices them for that he stands guard um, and and that's basically why he betrayed them which is again was kind of shallow and kind of cheap to me um, because nothing really ever comes of it I mean later it does but in this book that's just kind of where his Scourge's story ends Um Revan is kept alive, and he's held prisoner, um, and he's basically held prisoner so that the Emperor can attack his mind and try to extract secrets about the Jedi and extract secrets about the Republic and learn more about um, the, the part of the galaxy that he doesn't really know. And that is essentially the end of the story. Uh, we, It's very unsettling. You know, pretty much everyone is dead except for Revan. Revan is now this kind of prisoner just stuck in this catatonic state. It actually reminded me of like a Black Mirror episode um, that Revan just solely exists for, um, for the Emperor to extract secrets from. But we do find out that, and I'll talk about this in a second, we do find out that Revan isn't necessarily just laying there helpless he's waging a mental war against the emperor and it lasts for over 300 years but we don't really learn that in the book um the epilogue is really touching though um we go back to bastila and um she's with uh their son now whose name is uh vanner which is you know a a play on on letters for of revan's name but um vanner who hasn't become a jedi or a sith he's actually gone into public service into politics um, and they talk about, re- and we we actually get to see uh, Bastila and Revan's um, grandchildren, and actually talk about Revan's sacri- sacrifice and how it's kept them safe. But that you know they are worried that there is another war around the corner. So, the the novel ends on a very unsettling kind of like ominous um, ominous tone. So that's essentially that is the novel right there. Um, and I I did enjoy it, but. As I was researching it, I know that this novel, a lot of people that are Revan fans, um, especially from from the game, really did not like this story. And I, I can understand that. I You know, I thought Drew Carpathian, uh wrote this very well. Um, I, I I enjoyed his writing style, even though this was super dark and even though I wasn't crazy about him, you know, referring to older women as hags over and over and over. Um <laughs> but I did I did think it was a good novel, but it it doesn't really end. That's the thing, is that the ending is very unsettled. It's not um conclusive because there was a lot more Revan story to tell after this. Um and I'm just gonna read the excerpt from uh Wikipedia that I um or I'm not gonna read it verbatim, but I'm gonna kind of go over it and that's the fact that he was kept in stasis for three hundred years, um and the emperor waged a, a mental battle against him, and because this was such uh a, took a, such a huge toll on his psyche, um, his his personality actually split into two different um, different beings at one point, which I thought was fascinating, and I'd never heard that in the force that that could actually happen. But um, they split into two, and they're the good Revan, you know, passed away and, and kind of became a force ghost, and this, like, this dark side Revan became kind of this weird, like, Sith zombie that just kind of wandered the galaxy and and was, you know, doing stuff that wasn't so rad. Eventually, the, the light side and the dark side of Revan's personalities came back together on Yavin 4. Lots of stuff goes on, you know, with the Sith and with the Jedi and Yavin Four in the Legends books. If you've read Kevin J. Anderson's um, Jedi Academy trilogy, you'd you'll know that for sure. Um that's that's a really fun series. But um they did come together and they became one with the force. And that essentially was uh Revan's story. I've kind of I skirted over a lot after that novel and, and towards the end of his life, but that that essentially is uh Revan. So yeah, let's talk about some stuff from the book and and kind of you know some things that I thought were really interesting. Um, I thought that there's some stuff that they could definitely that could definitely be pulled from legends and put into canon. That I I think that if you know we keep speculating on this Benioff and Weiss trilogy, the the B and W trilogy is um, for short, so I don't have to keep saying their names. And I think this Revan material would be prime for them to pull from. Clearly, they have shown that they're not that great once they need to tell... I'm talking about B&W here. Once they need to tell stories on their own, they don't do a very good job of it, in my opinion. I'm not going to go down that Game of Thrones hole, but uh, I've read all the books. I watched the series for years, and I was not happy at all with how they ended that up. But that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying, B&W, if you're listening... Darth Revan would be fantastic to pull from for some of your stories. And also, his stories last for a very long time, so they'd give you a wealth of material. Um, I thought that it was really cool that there were things like um, the void that the Emperor creates, which is where the Force doesn't even exist. I've I'd never heard of that before. I I'm, think I may have heard of something similar in Legends, but in canon that does not exist. And I think that would be a really chilling thing. Like if they if that was let's say in the Rise of Skywalker that that's what Kylo and Rey. Um, if 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 it ends up being that they kind of come together to fight this great evil, if if that's something that Palpatine is trying to do, is basically just. You know, we know that Palpatine goes for the for the Scorched Earth um, strategy, so it wouldn't be beyond him, you know, with things like Operation Cinder, for him to basically eliminate the Force to try to um, eviscerate all life and eviscerate the Force. So um, we have a bit of Force bonding in this novel, and it's not as strong as we see it in The Last Jedi, but we do, or, or The Empire Strikes Back, we do... Uh, get the sense that across the galaxy, that Jedi can communicate with one another through the Force, because we early on in the novel, Revan is is desperately searching for for his apprentice, uh, Mitra, um, and we we also, you know, as far as I knew up until the Last Jedi, i never heard, I never knew of the ability that that Jedi could cut themselves off from the Force. So I thought that was really interesting that, you know, this book was written in 2011, but um, we have uh, Mitra right here cutting herself off from the Force. So, yeah, that is, um, I thought those those were very cool themes. I thought the the redemption theme uh, with Revan is is really cool. Um, and I, I really like the idea that he was able to come back um, from the Sith and not, not just come back from the Sith, but also... Um, come back and and work with the Jedi but me complimenting that and saying that is is a little double-edged because I also think that's one of the reasons that Revan's life is incredibly tragic um, and I thought that was one of the biggest things I took away from learning about this character and learning about the stories that involve this character is that he he's had his free will stripped from him so many times over this over this series and he's had it done by both the jedi and the sith he never gets to meet his child uh he never gets to have a life uh with with bastilla um and both of them have been through this trauma both of them have seen that he's basically you know psychologically assaulted for the last 300 years of his life was imprisoned by a sith lord um then his personality is fractured his light becomes a ghost he doesn't necessarily become one with the force uh but his light side becomes a ghost and the dark side is this again this like quasi like sith zombie and it's it's just you know i just was kind of horrified at what had happened what happens to this character even though he does find peace in the end one of the silver linings about that i thought was really touching about his imprisonment in the force or imprisonment by the Sith and this this uh this mental assault that he's undergoing by the the Emperor was that his his former apprentice Mitra, she had become one with the force and she'd become a force ghost, but she stayed behind um her presence, her spirit stayed behind and she was feeding him strength as he was being assaulted um by the Emperor and trying to keep him alive and trying to keep him strong. And I thought that was super touching and I mentioned that i think that mitra shares a lot of the the most admirable qualities that i've always found in in one of my favorite characters ahsoka tano and and it just it, i thought it was really cool that that she would do that and that she would kind of stay behind and you know instead of embracing the forest you know she still had business here to take care of in the physical realm um so she was definitely, I think Mitra was my favorite character in the book, even though that she wasn't in it very often. But when she came into the story, you know, you really sense that this bond that she and Revan had, it just gave, it revitalized him It gave him this new strength, this new purpose. And that's why I was so pissed off and like, and sad and upset when I was reading that, that throne room scene. And I, I know I've kind of spoiled it for you guys, um, it is gut wrenching for sure. Like it's it's really hard to read, and and the fact that she is just killed so suddenly and so abruptly and so senselessly is what really bothered me about it. Um, I really liked uh Kanderous and Vila, the Mandalorians, and I I wish Bastilla would have been in in it uh, more more than she had. I know that this was primarily Revan's story, but I think that Bastilla um she had a lot to contribute to that and and i'm gonna i'm actually basing my fan my fan fiction recommendation on on a story about her i'll talk about that in a second um but as far as the sith go you know obviously the emperor is a really intriguing character but i i was really just i was so repulsed by his story and by everything that that he had done that i had a hard time reading it and and you know, taking that fascination and and turning it into like you know wanting to go deeper than I already had. I thought Darth Nerris was really my favorite Sith in the book. You know, because she's she's you know she reminded me a lot of um, I, I I guess it would be like the um, the High Garden Queen. I I I'm so bad with names right now, but I'll just say that like Darth Nearest, She was kind of this matriarchal Sith Lord who was was very powerful and she was ultimately like you know she was a Sith and I'm sure she did some pretty evil shit in her life but she was trying to save the galaxy and she was trying to she was taking on um the emperor and she was trying to save her people and she was trying to save um you know in essence the greater good and I thought that was very admirable and I I um you know she she definitely her death as well as is, is not it wasn't quite as glorious as I thought it deserved, but I, I really like that character. And, and, you know, as I kind of go through legends, I'm definitely gonna dig a lot deeper for her more. So, um, so yeah, those are kind of my takeaways from learning more about Revan, um, reading the novel Revan, and um, a lot of the, the sourcing that I did online too, and I'm gonna include these in the show notes, um, but I, I really owe a lot to um, Wikipedia, um, Alex from Star Wars explained, actually, he has two videos about Revan, and he claims at the time, I don't know when he made the videos, but he says that they're um, parts one and two, that he's never made a two-part video about a character. And as I'm watching the the length of this episode crawl up, I can start to understand why. Um, but he made some great YouTube videos. Um, there's a couple websites that I'll link to, but there's also this YouTube channel I found um, called It's just SW, The Old Republic, and it's uh, basically timelines, and there's a lot of great—they actually kind of show these, and it's officially from the developers, uh, BioWare, who did— I think it was BioWare—that did um, the Old Republic game. So I'll I'll link to all these in the show notes, but you should definitely dig deeper if you want to know more than what I found out. But I really enjoyed learning about this, this Legends character. I really enjoyed learning about the characters that surrounded him, um, and even though his story is is really tragic, I think it is a great part of story, Star Wars storytelling. And I really think if you're, you know, if you're kind of hard up waiting for more canon material to come out, you you would do well to to pick up a copy of this book by Drew Carpisi and um, and read it because it was it really entertained me. It's it's pretty easy read. I read it in a couple of days. Um, so so check it out for sure. The piece of fan fiction I would like to recommend is um, it's on Archive of Our Own, and I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Um, It's called Son of Darkness, and it's by an author named Blue Envelopes 935. And it gives more of Revan's story and what happened to Revan through the perspective of uh, Bastilla. And it also connects to kylo ren as well and i haven't finished reading this fic yet but i i'm i'm really into it right now and i wanted to recommend it because i knew i had to record today i didn't know if i'd have another chance this week and i wanted to get this episode out but this it's it's a really really long uh piece of fan fiction it's totally worth your time it's really well written and one of the things I kept thinking about Revan the whole time I was reading is this is very much in my head canon how I would like to see Ben Solo's story play out. You know, Ben Ben went to the dark side. Um, he became Kylo Ren. But I really believe that you know, ultimately, what's going to lift him up and bring him out of this is the love and the bond that he and Ray share. Whether that's a romantic love, familiar love, or friend love, you know, I'm really big into Ben Solo being redeemed by Ray, and not that that's it's Ray's purpose to redeem him, but it's one of the ways that she's going to vanquish uh, the dark side in the sequel trilogy. And you know, this author is making allusions to that already in this story, and and um, Kylo Ren is tagged in it, so I know that at some point this is going to come up. Um, And one thing I did enjoy about this as well is that the author, she states in her notes that she has not played the video game or read any of the books, so she was coming to Revan just the same way that I was, just kind of researching uh, things about him online. So I highly recommend this story. Again, it's called Son of Darkness by Blue Envelopes 935, and I will link it in the show notes, as well as everything that I sourced. So I'm going to start to wrap this episode up, you guys, because... Uh, It's a long one. We're pushing over an hour. I would like to say though that I finished my second read of The Last Jedi novelization by Jason Fry, and it's excellent, and it was so serendipitous that I finished it because uh, my friend Pete Fletzer is having Jason Fry on his podcast last week, so I got to um, use uh, listen to an interview with Jason right after I finished reading the book. Um, one thing I posted about on Twitter, and I'll, I'll link the tweet in the show notes as well, is that I'm convinced after reading this that Snoke knew... All along that Palpatine is out there, and that Snoke is some kind of puppet or proxy for Palpatine, and we're going to find that out. And you know, we let a, we read a lot about how the Sith kind of use proxies to feel out their enemies and potential enemies. So um, there's a just there's a mention of of Snoke talking about how secretive Palpatine is and how secret how many secrets he has in the unknown regions still to yet unleash on the galaxy. So I, I wanted to reference that as well. So. Do definitely check out um, the Jason Fry interview uh, on Pete Fletzer's podcast, Across the Galaxy. And I'd also like to thank Pete personally because he reached out to me this week with unsolicited artwork. I've been having a hell of a time getting artwork for this podcast for Star Wars Lit Lab. And Pete just, like, whipped something up over Photoshop, and it was perfect. It was, like, exactly what I wanted. It was the ancient Jedi text in the Force Tree on octu um that you know, Luke had hidden there in the original Jedi temple. And it, it just has the logo. It's nice and simple. And Pete totally did that on his own. I didn't ask him to do that or anything. And it was just such a cool thing. I thought that like, wow, you know, another podcaster coming out seeing that I'm getting started. I've, I'm you can definitely tell from listening to me that I'm getting my sea legs, but I, I was blown away. And, and, you know, Pete, if you're listening, thank you very much. That was it was very nice. And because I'm doing this podcast, you know, I I want to make sure that I shout out to my fellow podcasters because, you know, I, I've, I'm learning a lot as I listen to others and I'm also learning a lot recording. But I wanted to sh- kind of shout out to a couple of podcasts that I was listening to this week that, you know, really give me, you know, not only inspiration, but also just keep me entertained and 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 give me touching stories. So the, the first one I want to shout out is the Resistance Broadcast. Um, they're affiliated with Star Wars Newsnet, who I am a, a writer for. So obviously, you know, I love those guys, uh, Lacey James and John. They do a fantastic job. Uh, two episodes a week, I'm barely getting one out every two weeks, so I can't imagine the amount of work that goes in. And they also just celebrated their two-year anniversary since they rebooted the original Resistance Broadcast, which I actually used to be a part of, but those shows um, are super choppy. Um, they're good, they're fun, but they're just, it's a lot different, a lot more polished now on the the current iteration of the Resistance broadcast. I'd like to shout out also to um, Ray and Christy of Hearts and Kyber. I listened to a couple episodes of theirs this week, and I always have to try not to cry when I'm <laughs> listening to their, their episodes because they do such a good job, and they have so many um, really touching stories that they share about you know, little moments between characters that you just don't really realize. They did a whole episode on the phrase, may the force be with you, and and when that's invoked in different parts of the saga. And I just, I had to like, you know, get a tissue out because it's it's just so touching. I'd also like to shout out to um, Nat, Aaron, and Shy from Meta, Meta- Machina which is a podcast I just discovered in the last couple of months. And I love it. It is, they talk about star Wars sometimes, um, but they mostly talk about genre fiction and they talk about it from the feminine gaze. And I'm, I'm using their words there, but they talk about so many cool stories and novels and, and, and things, and you should definitely check out what they're doing. But I listened to a couple episodes of theirs this week. Um, they talk about movies you'll remember from your childhood, and and also movies that are coming out, and books, and characters, and it's it's just such a good show. And I also enjoy enjoyed a um a great episode of Scavengers' Horde this week. Um, and they were actually reviewing Queen Shadow, which I didn't necessarily agree with their review because I love that book. Um, you should definitely check it out by E.K. Johnston. But it was really interesting to hear their points, and I did agree with—I did kind of agree to disagree with some of the things they were saying. But I—I I just love that book so much. I was—I was trying to like bite my tongue, but 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 Kirstie, uh makes a good point from that. It was—it was, you know, it's it's a good book, but it definitely does have a few faults. So. Anyone that I missed, I, I try to listen to as many podcasts as I can, but there's only so many hours on the day. So anyone that I missed, I'm very sorry. I love you all, and I will get to them next week. I promise. I'll keep trying to do my my podcast shout-outs. Um, so that's it, you guys. I'd like to tease what our next episode about is going to be about, and that would be episode three. And we're going to cover a character that is uh, very dear to my heart. Uh, she is one of my favorite characters. Uh, right now in Star Wars. I didn't meet her until a couple years ago, but we're going to be talking about Dr. Afra in the next issue, or the next, not next issue, but the next episode of this podcast. So uh, please stay tuned. We're going to talk about Afra's entire arc uh, throughout all the different comic titles that she's been in. She's been in so many of them and just kind of talk about where she's been where she is and where she's going. And I hope you'll, you will join me for that so we are well over an hour now. We're approaching an hour and seven minutes, so I think it's time for me to sign off. Um, this has been Star Wars Lit Lab. I'm your host, Kyle Larson. Make sure to check out uh, my reviews and my writing at Star Wars News Net and go to them as well for all your latest Star Wars news. I always like to give them a plug. Uh, Val Trichkov has been very supportive of me, and and I've had such a blast writing for them over the last five years or so. So yeah, that's me, Kyle Larson, Star Wars Lit Lab, signing off. May the Force be with you.